Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Rowing Chat. I'm here today with Ira Parry and this week Rowing Chat is sponsored by my book Rowing Tales. People ask me sometimes how do I go and get the tales to tell in this anthology? It's a collection of short anecdotes which other people give me about their own rowing life. One of them came to me at a business meeting. I met Eric Marnie and he's an older gentleman in the financial services industry. And when I told him about my rowing, he started to tell me a story about when the winners of the Grand at Henley all rushed out to greet their crew after the final and they got a right royal soaking as a result. I'm not going to tell you how it happened. You'll have to buy the book. But Eric saw that firsthand when he was on his first visit to the UK as a very young man. So it was a while ago. So go and get yourself Rowing Tales. It's on Amazon. It's on the Row Perfect shop. It's in Kindle. It's a good book and you can absolutely give it to anybody. Completely safe. And it's full of lots of short stories on rowing themes, uh, which I think you'll just enjoy it. And get another one while you're at it so you can give one to a friend. And of course, if you've got a rowing tale to tell, get in touch with me because I'm going to need a whole bunch of stories for next year, aren't I? Now, Ira, welcome to Rowing Chat. Would you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background in the sport of rowing? Hi, Rebecca. I firstly want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to do uh, this rowing chat. I've been really looking forward to it. Um, yes, my background in rowing, I come from a rowing family, so it's kind of in my DNA. So I spent a lot of time messing about in boats. Um, and I took up rowing kind of formally when I was 15. Um, I didn't row internationally. I had great aspirations to do so but it wasn't meant to be um, but I went into teaching as my career and alongside my teaching I did a lot of rowing coaching and I worked with some young athletes who um, rowed on the international stage as juniors and some went on to compete um, for the national team and compete at Olympic Games um, when I stepped out of teaching, I went to work for British Rowing and I worked for the Talent ID arm of British Rowing. So my job title was to find new Olympians, which sounds an awful lot more glamorous than it actually was. It was a lot of very early mornings and muddy towpaths. Um, and I worked for British Rowing for almost 10 years and was lucky enough to work with athletes on their journey through the sport, many of whom went on to achieve podium finishes in London and Rio Olympics. And I stepped out of rowing after the London Olympic Games in 2012 and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I wanted to um, do something where I was still involved in sport. I wanted to do something where I still had contact with athletes. And um, I could see having been a rowing coach and not necessarily always had the expertise 
or the time to support parents of athletes in that journey that there was a gap in the market and there was a need for a support service for parents of athletes and hence high performance parenting was born. Um, I'm also stepmum to um, a successful young rower so I have quite a unique perspective in that I've been a high performance coach, I understand the coaching process and the selection process but I've also been the parent sitting in the stands crying tears of joy and agony watching my stepson compete. So let's just talk a little bit about parenting skills and specifically parenting and, and sport. I'm guessing there are some very straightforward do's and don'ts because most parents I'm guessing want the best for their child but you have to respect the fact that they're being organized and run by a coach who isn't you. So what are the top three do's and don'ts for parenting sporting children? Oh, well, I would say one thing that it's always really important to bear in mind is that communication is king. So making sure that you maintain open lines of communication with your young athlete, with the coach, so that if any problems do crop up, if there are any difficulties, everybody's in the loop, everybody knows what's going on. Um, I'm not talking about bombarding the coach on a daily basis with phone calls and emails, but I'm just talking about developing a rapport with the coach where everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet and you're supporting your young athlete um, in a kind of cohesive way. That's really important. Another thing which I talk to parents a lot about is the idea that they're not going to win all the time. And that really, really doesn't matter. Um, embracing making mistakes, embracing the fact that you win some, you lose some, and looking for ways to learn from that is an unbelievably useful tool, not just in sport, but in life. Being able to take it on the chin, look at what went wrong, look at what went right and move on. I would say that's really, really important. And lastly, understanding as a parent that it's their game, not yours. And, you know, I work with some parents who have had nothing to do with rowing they 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 never the sport has never crossed their path before and they were tennis players and you know they thought their child would go into tennis but you know embracing something new and learning a new sport and understanding a new kind of culture it's fun and i think you know you've just got to let them fly the nest in a way and do what they want to do so that's very robust straightforward advice mm -hmm. let's talk about that first point communication what do you think are the main things that people in a positive sense can do in order to have effective dialogue what makes it happen well one thing that i work with parents and coaches on a lot um, is developing a very clear protocol for communication. Now, I talk to parents or I tell a particular story about when I was a rowing coach and I was at 
national schools regatta i had lots of athletes that i was looking after i was boating crew after crew after crew it was a busy day it's a stressful day and a parent came up to me when i was about to go off to watch another race and said oh i just wanted to let you know that we're going to be away on holiday the thursday after next for four days and i just thought what do you, what do you expect me to do with that piece of information we're in the middle of a regatta but actually that was my fault because I hadn't given them a clear protocol for how do I want to be contacted. So having that basis with the coach. So what do you do if your child is ill? How do you contact them? What do you do if you're late for training? What do you do if you've got a family holiday clash or something going on? And having a very clear protocol of when to use their mobile phone, when to use their email address. I think that's so important and then it just makes it easier for everybody to work brilliant and i can <clears throat> totally see that these are things that uh, parents who are new to the sport or even parents whose child's are new to being coached by you should get this so how do you kick off that conversation with um with your new group of athletes um a lot of clubs and schools now do um, some kind of induction at the beginning of the season for parents. And I would say that's really good practice, like inviting parents to come along to the club, particularly if they're new parents and they don't know people and they don't know the setup of the club. That's a great way to set out your stall as a coach, explain what the year is going to entail um, and get parents to understand how they can be supportive. I think um, I think coaches can sometimes miss a trick in terms of having using the parents as allies and part of that support network. And if parents don't feel they're part of it, um, they then don't understand what role it is that they're they're going to be playing, and they can feel a little bit like they're left out of the loop. And that, for a parent, is not a particularly nice way to feel because at the end of the day they're the ones driving them there, they're the ones funding the sport. So they need to be part of that support network. And I think it's really good practice for clubs and schools to embrace the parents at the beginning of the season and um, let them know how it's all gonna pan out, how it's gonna work, what the main events of the year are, when the training camps are gonna be, so that everybody's in the loop. So, Let's talk a little bit about the concept of a support network. What are the signs that a support network is working effectively for your group? So if people are listening, they're coaches or parents. And yes, I get the idea that you need to have support around young athletes. So the mm. concept is clear. But how can I tell if our support network's working well? Well... I suppose support networks get tested when there is some sort of challenge. So most rowing programs can tick along quite nicely, but it's when something goes a little bit awry that a support network is going to be tested. And usually for a young athlete, that usually is something to do with illness or injury. So when something goes slightly wrong and they're in effect in a period of slight transition because their training is different if they're injured or they've got to be away from training. And that's when the support network will really be tested and you'll be able to see 
where the holes are and whether it's working. Um, and that, as a parent, is a time when you really need to make sure that the lines of communication are open so that the coach understands, you know, what's the nature of the injury? What's the treatment they've been getting? What kind of illness have they got? What did the doctor say? All of that kind of stuff. Um, but I think that's when you'll see whether you've got a strong support network around a young athlete. And going then back to your framework for communication, <clears throat> can you set that sort of um, dialogue framework up so that people understand why you need to know things and ensure that the messages get through in the right way? Um, how do you mean exactly? Well, I'm thinking of a particular situation where someone gets injured, the parent, perhaps not fully understanding the options available, goes to the GP. Yeah. It would have been probably better to go to a sports physiotherapist. Let's just take it in this situation. But because they didn't understand, the GP says, yeah, rest it. And you're yeah. sitting there going, but I want the child back in my crew as fast as possible. Can we not have a rehabilitation plan? Yeah, yeah. Um, most, a lot, well, a lot of clubs that I work with have really good links with um, either physios or um, strength and conditioning coaches and people that can give really solid advice around injury. Um, so I suppose if if I was back in coaching, I would be setting out that protocol again at the beginning of the year and I would be saying, you know, if there's an injury as a parent, I would like you to do ABC and at the very least um, to consult with the coach and keep the coach in the loop. Um, because like as I talked at the beginning about communication, like that three way triangle between coach, athlete and parent is a very strong um, entity. But if one person is out of the loop, it then becomes quite weak. So, again, it's about communication. Now, young people, of course, mostly are not going to become professional athletes and they're doing sport as part of uh, fun things that either extracurricular activities or part of their school. Mm -hmm. What are your views on sport and life balance? How to strike a happy medium between singing in the choir, playing the orchestra, joining the film club, being in the Boy Scouts, and potentially doing a time-demanding sport like rowing? Hmm. Um, well, I'm very much for not specialising too early. So if they're involved in lots of things, or even if they're involved in lots of different sports, I think that's a really healthy thing. And I would encourage parents not to have them giving up lots of things just because rowing is... Um, a sport with a high training load and it is a sport with a high training load you know there's no getting around that if you're playing cricket versus rowing you're going to be doing like five six times as much training um <clears throat> i think it's important to understand the fact that young athletes will have periods of under recovery where everything will happen in the same week. So they'll have 
seat racing and they'll have the auditions for the school play and they'll have a mock exam and they'll have you know grandma's birthday party and it's you know it's just the way of life that that things you know always happen to all at once and I think accepting as a parent that sometimes they really are going to be up against it but the important thing is that they bounce back so having a really robust system of monitoring I always recommend to parents so at the very least just young athletes you know even 14 15 year olds taking a morning resting heart rate just to see how they're ticking along and you would expect to see a kind of rise in the morning heart rate when they're a little bit they've overdone things a little bit and they're a little bit under recovered but as long as they bounce back I think that's fine I think that's all part of teenage life and it's a good thing to learn you know because life's like that what you've got to be very careful of is when they don't bounce back you know and if over weeks they're on a kind of downward spiral and they've obviously got too much going on that's when you need to sit down and think okay we need to cut something out here there's too much going on in your life and again I know I keep saying it but involving the coach and the school in those decisions is really important because schools ultimately they want your child to succeed at everything that they do so involving them they will have strategies to help support your child if things have gone a little bit awry in terms of their organization or if they're overdoing it and over committing themselves schools will be able to help with that that's brilliant so for the resting heart rate when you wake up would you just have a bit of paper next to the bedside table so mum can look at it after you've gone to school because I'm guessing there are a few teenagers who want the feeling of mum looking over their shoulder well or even just they record it on their phone because it's good to give them an element of um, independence and something that they've got to get on top of and do for themselves but hopefully they'll be willing to share it with their parents or with their coach you know it doesn't have to be sharing it with their parents but actually having a record is just a very useful tool as an athlete because you're learning about your body better and your body is your primary tool fantastic let's talk a little bit about the journey of being a sporting parent because i'm guessing there are going to be some people who weren't themselves sporty and they somehow got a child who's got really interested in sport and they don't know much about it how can you make that journey fun for the parents as well as for the children yes and that is something that i'm very passionate about it's something that i really set my stall out to say that i want the journey for everybody to be positive um, I think as a parent, um, if you, if you have not been involved in rowing and you don't know much about the sport, there are lots of things you can do to find stuff out. So talking to other parents, um, is useful. You know, other parents are always willing to share advice and knowledge about different events or different things that happen during the season. Um, using social media to follow key people in the sport. Like if you start following uh, Vicky Thornley, you're going to get a real idea of what's involved in the sport, what sort of things she does, you know, and kind of a, 
an understanding of the international scene. And it's, you know, that's really interesting. As a parent, I would really encourage people to do that. Um, <clears throat> the other thing which I think is really important is to find out as much as you possibly can when you go to watch your child compete find out as much as you possibly can about the likely outcome because watching your child whether it's um you know whether it's a small regatta or whether it's the olympic games watching your child in a public place put themselves out there in a situation where they might fail is a hugely emotive thing you know, it really um, kind of strips us back as parents. And it's hard to see your child win or lose. Like seeing your child win is a hugely emotional thing. And the more you know about what is likely to happen, the better you can prepare yourself as a parent for the likely outcome and how your child is going to feel about that and how it would be best to react um, after the event so I always say to parents just find out are they going to are they likely to be the favorites to win or are they actually racing up an age group they're doing it for experience and they're going to come last but it's fine you know it's going to be an experience let's be positive about it fantastic and I can definitely see that 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 allows you to in your own mind prepare the conversation afterwards yes which is very, very important. Preparing the conversation and also preparing your own emotions because, you know, it's fine It's fine to be emotional and, you know, we see it all the time, like we've just had the Commonwealth Games and lots of that on the television. And, you know, there's a lot of emotions surrounding it, but you don't want your emotions to run away with you so that you are then in a situation where... A, you've embarrassed your child and B, you've embarrassed yourself. And when you look back on it, you think, oh, no, I wish I hadn't done that. So actually preparing for that is not a bad plan. Very, very good. That's excellent advice. Now, young people need a lot of energy to grow, but also for sport. Um, what are the sorts of things that in terms of fueling a body for sport, uh, you can advise parents to um, to do so that their child's well prepared and recovers properly. Oh well, I do a whole module in my workshops on nutrition for athletes, um, and you know it's quite a a big chunk of the education that we do. And um, if, as a parent, you haven't been involved in sport, it can be quite alarming how quickly your fridge empties if you've got hungry rowers in the house um so there are there are a couple of small i, I obviously can't give my whole nutrition module now because it takes me about an hour but there are a couple of key pieces of advice that i would say would be really useful for parents so um one thing is protein protein can't be stored by the body well we store it as muscle tissue so you certainly don't want your young athlete to be using their own muscle tissue as fuel so it's really important to be eating enough protein and eating protein regularly so what i encourage parents to try and achieve is some protein in every meal and every snack 
So thinking about just topping up those protein levels through the day. And um, in terms of gym sessions, like strength and conditioning sessions, it's actually a really good policy to have like a milk-based drink, like a milkshake that they're actually topping up throughout the session. So they're doing a weight training session and they're just topping up with their protein levels all the way through. That would be kind of gold standard athlete nutrition. Um, and secondly, I do a nice little piece of work around um, recovery snacks and recovery food. Um, so actually delivering the exact amount of carbohydrate and protein that a young athlete needs post a training session. And, you know, just as a rough guide, you're looking at a nice chunk of carbohydrate plus a bit of protein as quickly as possible after a training session. And some parents say to me, well, I pick them up from training and it's only 20 minutes until we get home and then we have a meal. But actually, you're better off giving them something in the car on the way home, giving them that recovery snack and them having less at the at meal times because the quicker they get it in, the quicker they recover physically and mentally. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure anyone that's parented a teenager knows that a, like a hungry a hungry hormonal teenager is not what you want. So the quicker that you can get that on board, the better their focus will be, the better their concentration will be. All of those things will have an impact. So um, I would go recovery snack in the car, smaller meal. And give us an example of a carb plus protein snack. Um, so a good one would be a banana milkshake so if you put banana you put a spoonful of yogurt you put milk you put honey you whiz it up in the blender that's delivering a nice lot of protein from the milk and the yogurt and then you've got banana and honey and some carbohydrate in the milk so they'll be getting a nice hit of carbohydrate to lift their blood sugar and and a bit of protein to help repair tired muscles fantastic <coughs> That's really useful. Now, in your um, sporting life as a coach, I'm sure that you came up against parental conflict from time to time. Um, tell us a little bit about what you think are the underlying causes of conflict between a sporting parent and I'm going to say coach, but what I mean is the thing that represents authority it might be the club committee, it might be the school Well, in my experience, the biggest area of conflict between parents and usually the coach is around selection, around selection decisions. Um, rowing is a difficult sport to select 100% transparently. It's not like oh, I'm going to select somebody to run the 100 metres and everyone's got a chance and they're all going to run 100 metres and the fastest person wins. It doesn't work like that uh, because you've got the crew element. So you've got to fit people in a crew. Um, you've got the wind and waves element. You know, you, you might plan to do a certain kind of seat trialling, but it doesn't come off because of the conditions. Um, 
And all of that means that, and you've got things like the um, ergo scores. So you've got things like the score that a um, athlete pulls on the rowing machine um, and what they do in a boat. So those things are important to a coach. They want somebody that's powerful, but they also want someone that's a boat mover. So there's an awful lot of stuff that can combine to for a coach to decide who's going to be in a crew. And when I work with parents, I help them to understand that that cannot be 100% transparent. There are so many factors in there and also factors around um, how athletes interact with each other in a crew or um, personal issues surrounding certain athletes, which can't be in the public domain, shouldn't be in the public domain, but all go into the melting pot of what's going to be the fastest boat. Um, the other thing that may not always be communicated by a coach is that sometimes a coach may be looking at the potential of an athlete and so they may have an athlete who seems to represent real potential, but hasn't got the experience or quite the skill level, but they want to give them that experience. So they're putting them into a crew to give them experience, but they may not, it, parents looking from the outside may think, why is she in that crew? She, My daughter beats her or my son beats him on the water. I don't understand. But th th there's actually this whole element of potential and bringing on those athletes who you think in a couple of years are going to be exceptional. Um, yeah, so I work hard with parents to help them to understand the selection process and that it isn't cut and dry and that there are lots of things going on. Um, also, parents who have not been involved in sport sometimes see it or perceive it as unfair if the same young athletes keep getting picked for things and that isn't their child. And I can totally see how that's difficult because if your child's turning up to all the training sessions and training really hard and has a dream to be in the top boat for national schools, then it is really disappointing if somebody else is getting picked all the time. But unfortunately, that is the nature of competitive sport. Like if there's an athlete that is getting picked all the time, it's probably because they are the best athlete. And so understanding that as a concept can be difficult for some parents. Um, so I try to help parents to see that empathising with your child about a disappointing selection decision is an absolute must. Because if, as a young athlete, you've trained hard for something and then it hasn't come off, that's desperately disappointing. But if, as a parent, your reaction is then that you think it's unfair and you're angry about it, that sends quite a mixed message to a young person. Because their understanding of it then is that something's been perpetrated against them, something's unfair has been done to them. Whereas actually, if you empathise with them, if you accept the fact that it's really disappointing, and then you encourage your child to ask the coach for feedback, and be very upfront with the coach and say, 
I'm really disappointed. I really wanted to be in that crew. Can you give me a few pointers? Can you tell me three things that I could do differently as an athlete to help me to get into that crew next time? That's a far more powerful process than getting cross and thinking it's unfair. And because I'm guessing that in childhood we're developing all the time, both physically and mentally, and of course acquiring these sporting skills along the way, I'm guessing that at one point in time, a selection decision can actually be quite different even a couple of months later as people are developing. And so the fact that a perhaps a momentary disappointment is just a stepping stone on your particular life path. Is that, it's going to sound terrible, but are young people capable of understanding that from the perspective of a young life? Um, it's a hard thing to learn, but I think if you are in sport, for the long haul, it's a good thing to learn. Um, and what you said about um, how sometimes it can just be a short term thing. Another thing that I encourage parents to do when I talk about um, the idea of monitoring health and well being, like athletes, adolescent athletes, so going through their teenage years, um, can go through quite dramatic growth spurts and um in rowing there tend to be quite a lot of tall athletes and you know some of the growth spurts that I saw when I was working on the start program with 14 15 year old athletes were just unbelievable you know they grew a huge amount in a short space of time and the effect of a growth spurt like that on their skill level on their actual physical stability is huge so a young athlete that one minute could do one something and was performing at a particular level could be really knocked back just by the fact that they've grown a few inches. Um, and so monitoring that, like as a parent encouraging your child or if they're younger, actually measuring them yourself once a month is a really, really useful thing to do. Because if, as a young person, if your performance suddenly dips and there's no reason for it, it's really hard. But if if there's something that can explain it, that's quite useful and, you know, you can shrug it off. So that's something that I would encourage parents to do. But, yeah, in selection decisions, disappointing selection decisions, it is, it you know, hard knocks. And there's no doubt about that. It is hard. But I think that is one of the amazing things that sport can teach you that ability to be resilient and that ability to pick yourself up. And the the best athletes in any sport are the ones who pick themselves up best from disappointment. We tend to see athletes when they're on the podium and it, they're achieving. And when they're down and out, they tend to be out of the public eye. But that, in my view, is what marks out a really exceptional athlete is the one that can pick themselves up when it's all gone wrong. That's really interesting because the previous rowing chat I did was with three athletes who are all injured at the moment. They're all on a national team and they're all available to talk to me because they're not training full time. Now, support for today's show comes from Health IQ, a life insurance agency 
who has the common sense to realize that athletes are healthier than the average population. What clever fellows they are. They means you don't have to explain why your body is a high quality, amazingly fit asset. These guys know that you are less likely. In fact, you're around 56% less likely to have heart disease if you're physically active. And rowers we know aren't just active, we're super active compared to the rest of the population. You can get special rates for life insurance and show your support for rowing chat by visiting www.healthiq.com forward slash rowing and ask for your free quote. We know you all enjoy rowing chat and you probably don't know that the costs of running this are not substantial, but they are noticeable every month on my bank balance. So please do it now. Open a browser so you don't forget to get a quote after the show's over. Healthiq.com forward slash rowing. And the minute you submit that quote button, you're supporting rowing chat. Now, back to the show. Ira, we talked a little bit about the uh, the bumpy pathway that uh, people have travelled on their route, as it were, through sport and through life. Do you think it's helpful for young athletes to learn about their heroes and their heroes' journeys? Because there's nearly always a down as well as an up, isn't there? Yeah, hugely. I think it's really important. And I think it can be a great motivator in times of difficulty. Um, if you can see that your role model who has gone to under 23s or won an Olympic medal or whatever it might be, if you can see that they have gone through the same sort of rocky road that you might be experiencing, then it's a lot easier to handle and a lot easier to accept. So yeah, I would, again, as I said, encouraging parents to follow um, key people on social media, you will get um, a feel for that rocky road. And I think, you know, if you look at any of the athletes on the British team at the moment, you know, there's a backstory for all of them and it's not all shiny medals um that's very very true now you spoke earlier about um decisions particularly selection decisions and you were emphasizing the importance of decisions being perceived to be fair let's look at it now from the coach's point of view or the school teacher's point of view how do they set up a squad for a year so that they can be perceived to be making fair selection decisions? Well, I always encourage coaches or schools or clubs, whoever I'm working with, to make sure that they have a selection policy which is readily available, whether it's something that's on the club website or it's something that goes out at an induction evening so that they have totally set out their stall to say, these are the events that we think are the important ones, and this is the way that those events are going to be selected. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that there will always be an element of the coach having the final say. If you are 
entrusting your young athlete, your child to a club, and you are accepting that that is the coach, then you have to accept that they are a professional and that their decision matters and that ultimately what they're aiming to do is is produce the fastest boat. So I think it's important to have a selection policy which sets out the kind of trialing that will happen. Will it be in singles? Will it be ergo scores playing a part? Will there be seat racing? All of that, uh, but also to acknowledge the fact that the coach will make the final decision on a crew. And most schools and clubs that I work with are very upfront about this and are very happy to share information with parents and show them how they've selected a crew. Um, but as I mentioned before, there's some information that won't be in the public domain and won't be able to be shared publicly. What's the difference then between competitive sport and something that is actually unfair? That is a very good question. Now, what I say to parents is, if you, if your child comes back from, say, some seat racing and says it was unfair because they haven't got in the crew, so they perceive it to be unfair, what you have to think is if you asked every single person involved in that process, every young athlete, whether it was unfair, would they all say yes? Mm -hmm. If they would all say yes, then it probably was, and you probably need to do something about that and ask some questions. If only the people that didn't get selected for the crew think it's unfair, then it probably wasn't. And it's probably just a little bit hurt pride. I mean, there are situations where stuff, you know, stuff isn't done appropriately and hasn't been done well. And I think as a parent, you should be in a position to call that out. But it's important to realise that, that those situations are relatively rare. <clears throat> That's a very interesting point. I uh, was told once by Harry Mann, the legendary coach, that he, after a set of seat racing for a quad, went to all of the people he'd been seat racing and asked them to write privately on a piece of paper four names of who they thought should be in the crew. And he said that allowed him to understand their perceptions as athletes. And some of them, I mean, these were older, they weren't school kids, um, but he said some of them did not put their name into the top four names because they probably knew in their own hearts that they'd been beaten or that they did not have the capability to improve to match the best, which I think is the other side of selection. Because, of course, you're selecting now and you're selecting for a race that may not be for a month or six weeks or several months if you're in the international scene. So I think that's measure of unfairness by asking the athletes and of course you could ask your child I guess to go around the rest of the group and get them to ask the question and do it as a little straw poll themselves yeah that's not a bad thing to do um and don't get me wrong I, I do totally understand how difficult it is as a parent um my stepson um didn't get selected in the first round of um, trialing for the Rio Olympics. And when he came home and told us, my first reaction was, well, that's really unfair. <laughs> you know, we're all human. 
you know, you you do, everybody has these emotions and you have this kind of innate need to protect them from disappointment. But of course, the coaches wanted to select the fastest crew. And actually, with the benefit of hindsight, at that point in time, he wasn't the right person for the job. Um, so, yeah, it is hard. And um, it's important to try and maintain a cool head because it's very easy to lose your head in situations like that. Yeah. So let's move on then to talking about a disappointing situation. How does one move towards dispute resolution? Because nobody wants to go to law. But what's a sensible way of coming, allowing both parties to be heard? I haven't had a huge amount of experience with this, but if you... If as a parent you genuine, genuinely feel that your child has been wronged and the selection decision is is unfair and is wrong, then um, in terms of clubs in this country, um, you would be going through the national governing body and asking for some kind of support and mediation. And I know situations where that's happened here and, and you know, it's been resolved. And in terms of a school then you would go, I would always go to the coach first because you don't want to, to cut them out of the loop. And if you still feel that you're unhappy, then you need to go above them to either the director of sport or the head and just ask to be heard, really. I think um, if you have a genuine complaint, you just need to see the evidence and have somebody who can mediate and support you through that. Well, emotions run very high when there is a dispute. Um, in sport, do you think it's possible to have redress? Because the moment of the race comes and goes and forcing a reselection, uh, is that always the right outcome for a, a dispute resolution? I... I haven't had a huge amount of experience of it, a little bit when I was at British Rowing, but um, the experience that I've had is that when a, a, a reselection has been forced, it's never normally ended particularly well. And it certainly has never gone the way that the athlete who's forcing it has wanted it to go. Um, so, yes, it's important that there is you know, an athlete has that course of action if they genuinely believe that they've been wronged. But I think ultimately, however difficult it is, coaches really, really are trying to pick the fastest crew. That's what they're doing. They're not going to leave somebody out of a crew for a world championships or an Olympics or whatever it might be if they think that person is going to make the boat go faster, that they're professionals, whether they're a whether they are a volunteer coach at a club or whether they are working on the national team, that's their aim to put the fastest boat out, and they do that in good faith. There's one situation that occurs in junior sport that doesn't really occur in any other part of the sport, and that's where 
the club has a policy to pick the fastest crew for, let's say, the under 16, 8. Mm -hmm. And the club or school allows children from the year group below to be available for selection. Do you have a view on whether or not that's a good way to run a, a junior rowing squad? Um, I, I do understand why schools do it, because obviously, again, it comes down to the picking the fastest um, combination. But I don't always think that it serves the athletes particularly well. I know, um, you know, I, I have had experience of various athletes that have been asked to race up out of their age group. And actually what you end up doing is taking them out of their network and plonking them into another network where they don't have the support, they haven't got the friends. And um, when you're 14, 15, 16, actually half the fun of rowing is that you're hanging out with your mates you know that's that's the main reason why a lot of people do it initially because it's fun and if you get taken out of that your peer group and put in with another age group it can actually be a bit of a a, a bit of an unpleasant experience i suppose um so i would I think when they get to, to sort of 16, I mean, most clubs and schools that I know run their 16, 17 and 18 year olds together. But I think when they're 14, 15, 16, it's better to keep them rowing within their age group. Yeah. Is rowing then very different from other sports in terms of those peer group friendships that you mentioned? Um, I think, well, I've worked with parents uh, from lots of different sports um, so the workshops that I do are multi-sport workshops so all sorts of different sports and I think when you get big team environments so I've done a lot with hockey and with rugby and with rowing obviously and I think you do get this great team environment and you know a big group of people of the same age and you know some of the best friendships I have have been made through rowing but then you take other sports, like I've worked in golf and I've worked in tennis, and it's completely different. Um, you know, it's parents um, actually paying for coaching ses sessions at a tennis club or at a golf club, and it's one-to-one. -one. There's not much interaction between players. And when they go to tournaments, it's parents taking them to tournaments, the coach isn't even necessarily there. So it's a completely different experience. So I do think that big team game experience when you're um at well at any time in your life but when you're a teenager is is a great thing now i'd like to move on to a little bit of your personal workplace and and the services that you offer your business is called high performance parenting you say you offer workshops you've mentioned them a couple of times what do you teach in these workshops so i um my clients are clubs, schools, governing bodies. I do a little bit with corporate networks. And they asked me to come in to deliver to a group of parents. And the workshops are specifically tailored. So um, sometimes a school or a club 
may come be coming up against a specific problem like we talked about uh, parents trying to get involved in selection decisions sometimes clubs will ask me to come in and work specifically on that so they're very much tailored to the group I'm working with and I can deliver across a broad range of subjects so we talked a little bit about nutrition uh, sport life balance I do a lot of work with parents on how to talk to your child about their sport um, some basic sports psychology, um, how to optimise recovery. So we talked about developing recovery snacks specifically for your child um, and the whole idea of how to be a really good parent supporter, like your role as a parent and how you can really support your child to um, fulfil their potential. And although the organization is called high performance parenting i am not just about the creme de la creme the ones that are going to you know go to world championships and whatever i'm about best practice i'm about parents supporting their children to fulfill their potential so if your child is trying to get into the second quad for nat schools or if your child is on a pathway to olympic glory doesn't matter because the best practice is the same that's fantastic and so how can people um find out more about your services so um i have a website which is highperformanceparenting.co.uk which has all details of the workshops that we do um, I also do one-to-one -one sessions with either parents or athletes, supporting them through specific challenges or problems. And we're about to launch some e-learning content because I have a lot of social media followers in different countries and much so I'd love to be flying around the globe delivering workshops. It's not really practical. So we are developing some content on the website that can be accessed by anybody anywhere. And where can people come and meet you in the next month or two? <clears throat> so I will have a stand at National Schools Regatta, which is the 25th to the 27th of May. So I'll be in the kind of little shopping village and we'll be launching our e-learning content then. And so there'll be a special offer that weekend on the e-learning. And yeah, I'll be there to meet and greet parents um, so please come along and see me if you're going to be at national schools. Fantastic. And Ira's also said that if you're on her newsletter mailing list for the international listeners of Rowing Chat, you will also get a special discount coupon when she launches the e-learning module. Any final words from you? Oh, my goodness. Well, my final words would be that sport can be the most empowering journey for athletes, but also for parents. And it will be a roller coaster. Mistakes will be made and there will be wins and there will be losses. And that's all part of the journey. And as a parent, I think one of the most valuable lessons that you can teach your child is that it's fine to make a mistake what marks you out is how you pick yourself up from it afterwards and sport can teach us all that. Ira Perry, it's been a delight having you as my guest here on Rowing Chat. Thank you very much. And for everybody else, 
Until next time, goodbye.